Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. All right, all right, all right, all right. Hello, everybody. We are back, and as you can tell by my clothes, it is a Monday. <laughs> Tyler's not wearing grunge. I'm not wearing... Destroyed stuff. Yeah, not lounge around the house clothes. I'm wearing actual clothes. But I, I'm wearing a collar. Yes, you are. It is a polo, but it's still a collar. I had to work today, so that means it's Monday. It is Monday. We had... Uh, Welcome into Whiskey and Wonder. We'll start there. Yep. Um, where we're the podcast where we whiskey and we wonder. Uh, sometimes we do it in reverse order, though. Um, if you don't know what that means by now, you're, you truly are lost. <laughs> <laughs> to quote the great Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, that over there is Megan. And that's Tyler. And you saw that on YouTube. Uh, if not, go check us out. You can see my lovely work attire. Um. Yeah, so we're we're excited. We're here, episode eighty six. Amazing, eighty six. We've all we're fourteen away from a hundred. That's that's crazy. I uh, know. I that. Yeah, I guess we better start planning something for a hundred. For a hundred, it has to be something special. Like that's big. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I we'll, don't either. Well, if you got any ideas, email them to us at contact at whiskeyandwonder dot com. Uh, we'd love to hear your ideas, and maybe one of them will get featured on the on the show. For sure. Um, we will, with that being said, we are Whiskey and Wonder, where we uh, try out a new whiskey every week, review it, rate it, and then we teach one another something we thought was fun and interesting or cool or, you know, just mysterious or whatever. Something that made us wonder. Yeah, pretty much. It's literally right there in the name. See what I did there. Um, so uh, we'll jump into the announcements on that. We have a special announcement that's going to come later in the show. Um, but first, for now, uh, go check out our Patreon. It's it's uh, patreon.com slash whiskey and wonder. Uh, there you can subscribe to different tiers uh, that get you different benefits from starting with uh, um, voting on the infinity bottles for our bourbon, scotches, and rye's. Uh, you can get uh, extra coupons for merch in the stores. You can get uh, free stickers. You can get early access to episodes. There's all sorts of benefits there. You got to go there, check it out. Again, that's uh, patreon.com slash whiskey and wonder. Um, don't forget to, to our Patreons. Don't forget to vote on the infinity bottles. We started putting a time limit on those polls so that they basically, uh, you know, they shut down when the next episode comes out. So yep. if, if our Patreon uh, subscribers get them on Mondays, uh, everybody else gets them on Thursdays. And basically you'll have from the Thursday or the Monday before it's released to everybody until the next Thursday when the next episode releases to everybody. Yep. To go ahead and vote there. So um, check out our store. Whiskeyandwonder.com slash store, I believe it is. Uh, let me verify that. Uh, yep, whiskeyandwonder.com slash store. Uh, we've got T-shirts for both ladies and gentlemen. And if you want to wear the other one, then that's fine too. We have it for you. Uh, we've also got stickers. We've got our tumblers with our logo engraved as well. And 
Uh, we haven't forgot about the 5,000 listen celebration. That is on the docket. We are still searching for a dress, but that is coming up soon. Um, I'd also, I'm going to take a moment and promote, promote myself here for a minute. You go. Um, check out my Instagram at, it's uh, at whiskey.tyler, where I, once a week, I review one of the whiskeys that we've done previously, and I kind of see... Basically, do I agree with my assessment originally? Has your palate changed yeah. or and I, what have you? You know, I write it up. I sit here and, excuse me. Oh, usually I'm, I'm, I'm not doing too much around uh, one night a week, and I can sneak that in there. So uh, check that out. If you want to follow the actual podcast, we're at Whiskey Podcast. Um, all our stuff, all our cool stuff, you can find at whiskeywonder.com, YouTube, I'm trying to figure out what Megan's I was trying me. to point down to the show notes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it'll all be in the show notes <laughs> It's all for in the sure. show notes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I thought that's what you were getting to. Oh, yeah, I was. But I was just going to say, uh, just Google, check out Whiskey and Wonder on YouTube, and we're not that lady's song. Uh, no, don't, don't give her the not. listens. Don't give her the listens. Uh, we were Whiskey and Wonder before that song was called Whiskey and Wonder. Truth. Um, we came first. Honestly, though, it's not. It's not a bad song. It's not a great song either. I, I didn't think it was that bad. I, honestly, I I thought it was decent. Um, anyway, yeah, check us out on YouTube. All the rest of the stuff is going to be in the show notes. Like I said, uh, I think I hit the email earlier. If you have an idea for us, contact at whiskeyandwonder.com um, and hang around later for another secret special announcement. Ooh. Sneaky. Um, and before we go any further, we want to say thank you to our Patreons, uh, to those that donate that support us that tell their friends that like subscribe rate review leave comments email us give us donate whiskeys you know everything you guys man y'all make this possible yep. i seriously i haven't gone to the whiskey store in months months yeah um you guys are like killing it for us and we appreciate that so much i yep. mean you're why we're at episode 86 yep so, so. Thank awesome. You. Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much. And now that we've got all the business and the marketing and the bullshit out of the way, let's do this. The open segment. So that sounds well, really low to me. Does that sounded, sound really low? It to sounded you? low, yes. Okay. But I don't know. Yeah, uh, we'll see how that comes out in the final... Uh, final finger. Yeah. Um, maybe I can bump that up. All anyway. Right. Why are we recording on a Monday? Uh, Do you want to tell everyone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I can tell everybody. So, <clears throat> my grandfather um, basically uh, a couple weeks ago, or actually a couple months ago, he was diagnosed with dementia. And now they're concerned that it might have been a misdiagnosis. Uh, but for the time being, he is living in a uh, facility for dementia people. And apparently the food there is not... Uh, Fibrous. Yeah, it's not cooperating with his uh, gut and all the things associated with that. And so... He had to go to the hospital uh, either last week or 
two weeks ago because he hadn't gone to the bathroom in eight days. And I guess it was starting to cause him some pain or whatnot, which, you know, understandable. But anyway, they eventually got things working and um, sent him on his merry way. Well, flash forward and, you know, my, my mother handled all that. Um, you know, her and her and her sister are their only two kids and my, my aunt doesn't have children and I, my mom only has me. So it's just us three. And, uh, I got, I got a phone call yesterday from him saying that he wasn't able to go to the bathroom again and needed to go to the emergency room. And my mom happens to be, uh, in Ohio for a week and my aunt just wasn't for whatever reason, wasn't able to answer her phone. And so it fell to me, who knew absolutely nothing. I didn't know what hospital to take him to. And I'm not saying that as like I'm just a dumb moron. Like, I, they're legitimately, I don't know what his insurance or any of that, you know, any, any of that sort of thing. Um, I don't know if there's a preferred hospital. I don't, I don't even have copies of his insurance cards to give him. So uh, to make a long story short, I basically was able to get a hold of my mom and she tried to blow me off. And I was like, no, you need to make time for this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because she's like, what? I'm in the middle of an auction. I was like, you need to make time because I don't know what to do. Um, And so she did. And I appreciate that. She called the the facility and they basically gave him some medicine that that was going to take two to three hours and should make him go to the bathroom. And it didn't. So that meant I was sitting around all day because this started about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So I was sitting around until about 7, 7.30 at night waiting to see if he would go to the bathroom. Of course, he didn't. So then I was like, well, I guess I'm taking him to the emergency room. Keep in mind, he lives an hour away from me. Um, so I call him up, and I'm like, well, get ready. I'm going to come get you and take you to the emergency room. And he goes, well, no, they're going to come around at 9 o'clock, and you know that's when they give out people's nighttime medicine. And that's when they give me my, my pill that helps me sleep. He's like, I don't want to not be here and not get that. Cause then, you know, if I'm not back until 10, 11 o'clock at night, I won't get that and I'll be up all night. And so I said, well, I have to work tomorrow. I don't know what to do. So I finally was able to get a hold of my aunt and she was nice enough to take him today. Um, I don't, I don't know the results. I, I had a busy day at work. And so, TBD. Yep. So, that's why we're recording on a Monday, because of an old man's butthole. <laughs> what a way to put it. An old man's sphincter. Nice. Yep. Um, I got through that whole story without saying anything related to poop. You did. And then at the end, you just hit the wall. Oh, I hit one out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> um, is your sister your half-sister? Yes. She, I don't know. Did I did I know that already? I think you did. Oh, okay. Yes, she is. Uh, she is. Uh, we share the same father, but different mothers. Okay. So. Okay. I was very confused when you yep. said you were your mo- only child of your mom. Yep. So I was like, no, 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 no. You have a sister, but I do. Yes. Okay. Okay. I I'm sure I knew she was your half yeah. sister. That had to have come up at some point. Um, but it, it you know. It is what it is. Yeah. 
and you're gonna sneeze. Wow, that excuse me, definitely I'm sorry. was picked up. Sorry, I <laughs> turned away and everything. Oh no, we heard it. Oh, sorry. It was intense. Uh, maybe I'll cut that as a snippet or something. <laughs> uh, so, Megan, tell what's what's been going on in your week. I gotta I gotta think about the rest of my week. Okay. Um. I mean, this is a new week, so like my brain kind of like. Yeah, you every Monday, last week. like the last week is just erased. Yeah, so, same. Um, what did I do last week? Oh, uh, we watched the uh, I forgot what the movie was called, even the Black Phone. The the oh, that's gonna drive me nuts. Well, all right, on it's that note, a new Ethan Hawke movie. Um, the yeah, the Black Phone. Okay, cool. Uh, it never is never heard of it, it's a horror thriller. Scary movie um, based on a book written by Joe Hill, which is Stephen King's son, if you didn't know. Uh, and it was really, really good. Uh, quite enjoyable. So I said based on, you know, based on that note, um, Shelby got me to the movie theater a second time. A second time? Yep. We went and saw Top Gun 2. Which is Amazing. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to me, Tyler. <laughs> I'm not going to say it was a bad movie by any stretch. It was it was an enjoyable movie, but it was there were definitely unnecessary throwbacks to the original and there were definitely uh unrealistic happenings. It, it was an action movie to its to its extreme. It was not. It was phenomenal. It was a good movie. I'll give you that. It was it was enjoyable, but much like the original Top Gun, it's a movie I can see and then not see again for fifteen years and be okay. perfectly okay. You're also not a movie guy, so like, that, all right, that, but yeah, like I watched I watched Top Gun a couple times when I was a kid, and I haven't seen it since. And I watched it. I don't know, a couple weeks ago, because originally Shelby and I were going to go see Jurassic Park, and then I heard it was kind of bad, and so we kind of pivoted to go see Top Gun, because we heard it was really good, and then I was like, nah, Dinosaurs. I, I, I'd just rather see the Jurassic Park, and then, you know, that whole compromise thing in a relationship, <laughs> I ended up back in a movie theater, but, uh, you know, it was enjoyable. I got some candy out of it. Nice. So... I I love movies, and I could not imagine only going to the movie theater like twice a year. All right. Let's put this question out there. I want people, I want your opinion. Megan and I, and apparently Megan and Shelby, are very different people. I've gone to the movies with Megan in Houston one time, and I will not go again. <laughs> <laughs> they sit in the okay. front row. Pause. Pause. When it reclines. When it reclines. Yes. If the chairs go back. Doesn't matter. It's the screen is still this wide. Oh, I still you have lay, to turn my no, head. No, you lay back and you can see everything and it's like you're right there. No, it's great. I have to turn my head. Meanwhile, Shelby and I, both times we went to the theater, got the little back row. <laughs> that sounds awful. Oh no, it was so good. So please, guys, let us know. Where do you like where, to sit? Yeah. Where's the appropriate the movie theater seatage? Weirdo. No. Reclining <laughs> seats. First row. Recline in the back row and you don't even have to turn your head. No. Nah. 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 Anyway. Um, 
Anything else exciting happen? No. I don't remember. And um, we got a long wonder segment. Okay, well, on that case, I'm just going to give a quick shout out. Thanks to Glenn, Dove, Tim, and Dana. We had an awesome time going out on the boat on Saturday, me and Shelby. So thank you all for having us. All right. <clears throat> Moving on. Opening the bottle. So that one was loud. It was. It I was don't know normal. why the other one was quiet. Maybe you fucked it up. Maybe I did. Anyway, we got to, something. To, to, to today. Sorry. <laughs> that was like a boulder rolling. Like yeah. it started and I couldn't stop it. <laughs> Today, uh, we are having a whiskey that was gifted to us by friend Stephanie. So thank you, friend Stephanie. It's something we haven't done in a long time. Airplane bottles. Yes. And I'm going to adjust my focus so that you can see what it says. Okay. You go ahead and do that. Um, She actually gave us several airplane bottles to test. Oh, nice. Well, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, friend Stephanie. Um, so this one is the Devil's River Rye Whiskey. It is a small batch Texas rye. So going to the Devil's River website, um, they are in proud pop partnership with a Devil's River Conservancy, which is a 501, 501c3. And they say, everyone knows that we're pretty damn proud of our roots. At the heart of Devil's River Whiskey, we owe our unique taste and bold flavors to the same pure limestone filtered water source that feeds the Devil's River. For that very reason, we have a responsibility to give back and help protect this unique resource. The Devil's is wild and untamed, and we intend on keeping it that way. Proceeds from every bottle will go to the Devil's River Conservatory, or Conservancy. The mission is to ensure this uniquely pristine water resource remains a natural and scenic treasure for generations of Texans to come. And so they're very uh, much eco-friendly trying to keep their water source um, what what it's supposed to be. So this is another whiskey that has their own unique water source that's like a natural, um, natural like flowing river, which is pretty neat. Um, and I know they also have several variety of whiskeys. So we are doing the rye today. Yeah, we haven't had a, we've been on a bourbon kick lately, y'all. And um, I'll be the first one to tell you I'm guilty of it when I do get to pick out bottles. Uh, a lot of it's bourbon and, you know, a lot of the stuff that people have donated because I guess they, know that I enjoy bourbons, have been bourbons. It looks like Megan dropped her, <laughs> dropped her bottle. She's over there trying to sneakily get away <laughs> with that for all those on audio. And I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for that stupid video camera. Yep. Um, all right, so I took a whiff of this, and I, uh, I, I couldn't pick anything um, uh, overwhelmingly distinguishing out on first, you know, just as I was kind of sniffing between words there. Okay. Well, um, I mean, I took a couple sniffs as you were talking, and I'm definitely getting dill, which seems to be pretty common in rise, at least in my uh, experience. And then obviously rye, dill and rye is kind of overwhelmingly what I'm getting right now. Rye is what I get. Um, Just to let you guys know, this is 90 proof. 
Um, so I don't expect it to be overwhelmingly spicy or overwhelmingly burning. All right. So uh, it does say that this Devil's River Rye has been awarded one of, as one of the best rye whiskeys aged less than 10 years. The rye whiskey has been awarded 14 medals from some of the most prestigious spirits competitions. Devil's River Rye has won six gold medals, one double gold medal from the San Diego International Spirits Competition, and recognized as Rye of the Year by the New York International Spirits Competition. So. So it looks like um, it looks like the mash bill is uh, 51% rye, 45% corn, and 4% malted barley. So it's just... Just over that threshold to be considered a rye. Um, and it looks like a, a, a fifth costs you around 40 bucks. Um, but uh, it's not something we can find in North Carolina yet, apparently. No, no, so, so something special. So, so thank yeah. you again, friend Stephanie. Absolutely. Um, so I'm getting rye and dill. Um, Maybe just a tiniest hint of vanilla, um, but overwhelmingly different, like, spices you would find in your cabinet. Like, um, I don't I don't know, like, stuff you'd cook with. Rosemary, parsley, um, so stuff along the, that line. So. I, I just tried something interesting I've never thought to do before, and I closed my eyes. When I smelled it, notice I said smelled. Good job. Um, because there have, I learned a long time ago when I'm trying to listen to a song and isolate a part of, you know, like a rhythm guitar or a bass guitar or something that's not the forefront of the music. Take one of your senses away. Taking one of my senses away really helped. And when I did that, I got a subtle hint of vanilla. Um, and I also got... Uh, some sort of fruit in there, but I, I couldn't really picture which one it is. Like a golden apple, I think, is what I got when I did that. Like a, um, like a golden, I forget what they're called, but they're like literally the yellow apples that are good to like eat. Like you don't need to do anything with them. You just crunch on them. Um, yeah. So I, I would definitely say, um, it's got that, uh, spice that kind of rye spice. Uh, I don't really get as much dill on this one as as I think you're getting. I get the vanilla and some fruit and that rye spice, and honestly, right. it kind of makes me think of uh, the holidays. Okay. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of the ho- Christmas time, the holidays. So cool. Well, we are supposed to be smelling spicy. Um, with distinct notes of rye, pepper, and oak, it is balanced with a little sweetness like caramel, brown sugar, and orange zest. I don't know if I'd say I get orange zest. I don't think I get orange either. Um, so, so I don't know. I think I might have a different, uh, set of notes. Um... What are you getting? Or what did? What do your notes say? Uh, it says cinnamon notes on the nose, with hints of fruit, caramel, 
spice and vanilla, which I would agree uh, definitely with the caramel, the spice, the vanilla. Uh, the fruit is definitely more subtle for me, but you know I definitely can tell there's something there. So Almost. that, that what? No, go ahead. I I tasted it a little bit. I took a couple sips, and okay. that is a very unique experience. Um, it has a very interesting taste. I thought, honestly, by the smell, that it would be kind of like just a meh experience, but it was um, unique. Um. There, there's a lot of like pepper spice in it, um, that warms you up and it's, it definitely changes flavors as it sits in your mouth and as you swallow it. Um, I didn't think enough of the flavors specifically, just that it, it isn't a, uh, oh, one-sided whiskey, plain old, you know, whatever I'm trying to say. It, it has layers like it definitely has ogres. layers. Um, man, that. Oh, there's so much there to unpack. All right. Um, Literally, like, yeah. wow. So I'm going to start at the back and work my way forward, I guess. That's actually a good idea. Um, because it is definitely, definitely a fairly long finish. Um, spicy, spicy finish. Not overwhelmingly so, but it's. It's getting close uh, to overwhelmingly so for me personally. Um, there's definitely, I don't get much dill. I, you know, I don't get any kind of <clears throat> oh, I, I don't I don't get a overwhelming fruit. I definitely get some char in there, some of the oaky charred flavor. Um in addition to that, there's a noticeable sweetness on the front end. Um, you know, I, I, I'm i struggling to pick out if it's caramel or vanilla or what exactly that sweetness is, uh, so I'll need to taste it again, but it is definitely there. Yeah. All right, so working from the back forward, it is a long, lingering finish. Um, I'm getting definitely some spice. Um I wouldn't say it's nearing overwhelming for me. Um, Not that second time. That nope. second time, I barely got any spice at okay. all. Um, the spice does linger for me, but it, like I said, it's not overwhelming. Um, a lot of the fruit is at the finish, I would say. Um, that's where I'm getting, like, apple and pear, um, maybe a little bit of that orange zest they were talking about. Um the middle is how it, the middle literally is like a car crash because there is like a physical feeling on your tongue where it shifts flavors. Um, and that the only way I can describe it is literally like shifting gears. Yes. Yes. Not a car crash. Not That's a car a bad crash. Way of describing no, it. I couldn't think of what I was trying yeah. to say, but you can, yeah, you can physically it, feel it shift. It, shifts to me i get what you're saying i don't get any fruit in the flavor um but i get what you're saying it's very it's sweet and creamy on the front end and then it shifts gears into that 
charry, oaky, spicy flavor yes. on the finish. Yeah. Yes, it, like, 100%. It's like, there is no subtle ease into it. It's just like, bam. You're yes, there. yes, exactly. I, so, okay, I can see I why, get, you, I see, I can see why you said a car crash. Yeah, yeah, it's like like you said, bam. Like, Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Other than, uh, you know, just not personally getting the flavor of fruit. All right. So... Well, according to the Devil's River website, we are supposed to be tasting um, spice with hints of maple, plum, pepper, and fennel. The finish is clean with notes of dried apples and vanilla. I did not get... Mm. I don't know. I, I didn't get any fennel in there. I would have to search really hard for that one. Um... But I mean, I've been getting the apple since the beginning, so like I got that um, fennel. I agree, maple. No, I'm not getting any type of maple. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't know. Well, I guess on that note, guys. Sorry, I'm jotting down notes here. I guess on that note, we're gonna go ahead and. Before we jump into the wonder segment, we'll talk about that special announcement that we have. We'll do it now. Um, do you want to do it or you want me to? You said you were All confident. Right, I'm not. It. All right. So uh, we'd like to announce formally that we are sponsored by BarkBox. So you guys know us. You know we love our dogs. Our we, pod dogs. Yes, our pod dogs, Bo and Nay and... You know, sometimes you just got to show your dog how much you love your dog. Yeah. And, you know, what better way to do that than with BarkBox? Um, BarkBox has been around since uh, 2012, and their goal is just to make dogs happy. If you don't know what it is, it's a monthly subscription service. They send you a box with a couple dog toys, uh, some treats. They're usually themed uh, each month. Yes. Um. I have actually been a longtime subscriber of BarkBox long before we were sponsored by them. So shout out to BarkBox. Um, That's kind of what this is, is a shout out to BarkBox. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've had all sorts of themes like earlier in April, they did a 420 theme where uh, all of the toys and treats were like 420 inspired. Um, they've... Nice. They've done a Star Wars theme this year, which I got every extra toy and stuff you could to make sure I got everything because, you know, Star Wars. Nice. Um, and they uh, are the company that went viral with the uh, pigs in a blanket dog toy that uh, does not look like pigs in a blanket. And I'll let you guys Google that. <laughs> oh, Lord. You're supposed <laughs> to bring them good publicity, Megan. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, you know... Shelby has had BarkBox for a long time, um, so I've I've definitely seen it. She's she usually splits the toys up, and it never it never fails. Bo and Benson's favorite toys, apart from one specific toy that both of them love, uh, is always what what comes in the BarkBox and the treats. Uh, so anybody you know, Megan knows this from in real life, but anybody that doesn't know, Shelby might have mentioned it on here a time or two, but she has two dogs. Uh, and, and one of them, Shiloh is just absolutely terrified. She's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, she's just scared of her own shadow. 
And she's really afraid of me. Uh, interestingly as it is, just I'm a big, tall, wide, bearded, hairy thing that's loud and obnoxious. Lumberjack physique. Yeah. And um, so she's super scared of me. And the treats that came in this month's Bark Box actually had Shiloh coming up. And something we've been working on for over two years now is, is just her getting comfortable with me. And so she immediately came up. There was some kind of bacon, oatmeal, maple treat. It smelled so good. I wanted to try it, but I didn't. Um, Surprise. But I, I have tried human-grade dog treats before. Anyway, <laughs> um, back to BarkBox. Guys, uh, they offer a subscription that, that fits your lifestyle. You can get one-month plans. You can get six-month plans. You can get a 12-month plan. Um, you can get stuff for super chewers. You can get stuff for, you know, doggy dental. They've got your needs, whatever they are. Um, the best way that to sign up for BarkBox is to either go to whiskeyandwonder.com slash sponsor. We've got an offer there where you can get a free month if you sign up, or you can go to BarkBox.com slash whiskeyandwonder, and that's whiskey with an E, and mm-hmm. it's all one word. Uh, basically, you'll sign up for that. You'll get your free bo- our free month, and that'll help us yeah. help BarkBox, and BarkBox gives us a little kickback from that. Yeah. So. You help you help the podcast by doing that. So, again, that's whiskey and wonder. Dot, oh, I'm sorry, that's barkbox.com slash whiskey and wonder, or you can go to whiskeyandwonder.com slash sponsors and click the ad for barkbox there. So we are very excited to be so excited to be sponsored by them and yep. so proud of that sponsorship. Like I so lost my mind when let, I found out about that. So yeah. So on that note. Um, We'll go ahead and move into the wonder segment now. It's time for the wonder segment. Today is going to be a rough one, friends. First and foremost, take care of yourself. Our wonder segment today is going to cover not just a true crime case, but a severe mishandling of an investigation resulting in wrongful imprisonment. I want to learn you today about the West Memphis Three. Mm. The West Memphis Three has had, a nu- has had numerous documentaries produced, books published, and podcasts devoted to. We try to keep Whiskey and Wonder under an hour and a half each week, and I'm going to try to fit a ton of information into not a ton of time. In fact, this is going to be a multi-part wonder segment, so don't expect closure at the end of this hour. There's obviously much more out there, and I encourage anyone interested to read Devil's Knot by Mara Leverett, watch Paradise Lost, or West of Memphis. All three were major sources for this wonder segment. So, Even if you don't follow true crime, there's a good chance that you've heard of this before. Tyler, have you ever heard of the West Memphis Three? No. No. Okay. Well, never mind. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to. That's all right. It is a very um, popular case. Anyway, in order to understand the severity of this case, I'm going to need to go into details of this crime. To those not aware... Three children were brutally murdered. So again, take care of yourself. Last warning. Here we go. It was May 5th, 1993, 
around 8 p.m. when John Mark Byers called the West Memphis police in Arkansas to report his missing adoptive son, Christopher. An officer came out to his house for a statement, and there he told her that Christopher was last seen at 5.30 cleaning up the yard. Christopher Byers was 8 years old, 4 feet and 4 inches tall, with light brown hair and light brown eyes. The officer took this information and left, responding to another call just minutes later. This one was from a Bojangles fast food restaurant. For those not in the South, it's a chicken and biscuit joint that's a staple down here. Yeah, y'all missing out. Mm-hmm, it's good. The manager had called the police because a disorientated black man covered in blood entered the restaurant and wandered into the women's restroom. The patrol officer pulled up to the drive-thru to take her statement and never once left her cruiser despite the employee's concerns. The man had been in the bathroom for about 30 minutes and had only just wandered back out of the restaurant a few minutes prior to the officer responding. She took the manager's statement without ever entering the restaurant and then proceeded to another call for some kids egging a house. So much more important than a crazy guy covered in blood. The next report for a missing child came in around 924, and the same officer responded to this call as well. Dana Moore was reporting her son, Michael. He had not come home. She said she'd last seen her son around 6 p.m. riding bikes with his two friends, Christopher Byers and Stevie Branch. Michael was eight as well, standing four feet tall and at 60 pounds. He had brown hair and blue eyes and was wearing a Boy Scouts of America shirt and cap. At this time, a second officer was responding to a call from a woman named Pamela Hobbs, reporting her own son, Stevie, missing. Stevie Edward Branch was eight years old, four foot, two inches, and had blonde hair and blue eyes. Mrs. Hobbs met with the officer at a catfish restaurant where she worked, and the officer failed to note who had told her that her son was missing or who was supposed to be watching him while she worked. Word of the missing boys spread like wildfire, and groups of civilians formed to go searching for the kids. Several residents reported that they'd seen three or maybe four boys riding bikes together shortly before sunset on a major road in their subdivision. A four-acre patch of woods separated their neighborhood from two major interstates. They were called Robin Hood Hills, but the kids always dropped the hills to affectionately call the wood Robin Hood. Both I-40 and I-55 trundled past these woods, the trees a good buffer for the subdivision and the diesel-filled roads. The woods weren't just there for a respite from the noise of traffic, but rather for flood control. Robin Hood was a kid's paradise, with bike ramps and trails, a man-made river flowed through the center for fishing and swimming, forts and rope swings were scattered throughout, Local kids would spend hours adventuring at Robin Hood with limitless imaginations. Even though parents often tried to ban the woods, and just as often failed, an entrance to Robin Hood was only about a half a mile away from where Michael Moore and Christopher Byers lived, and Stevie Branch was only a few blocks further. West Memphis is considered a major rest stop for mid-continental travelers and truckers. The Blue Beacon Truck Wash is right outside the woods, with a large sign visible from the interstates. I say this because I want everyone to kind of understand how frequently people from out of town drove through West Memphis. 
keeping a steady population between 20 and 30,000 between 1990 to today, I also wouldn't call it a small town either. This was a town that had a police force. It had detectives. And though it wasn't some criminal den, there was still enough crime that the investigation tied to this should have and could have been handled better. But I'll get to that in a bit. So, neighbors got together to search for the three boys. There was even cursory glances about where the boys would eventually be found. But it was past dark and getting late. The two officers who took the reports of the three missing boys both claimed to have looked some that night. The first officer, the female, who also wouldn't get out of her car at Bojangles, said that she entered the woods for just a few minutes before the mosquitoes got so bad that they drove her out. The second officer, who took the report about Stevie, said that he spent half an hour with a flashlight in the woods looking for them. This was the only police activity that night. A full search wouldn't be started until the morning of May 6th. At 9 a.m., a search and rescue team from the Crittenden County Sheriff's Office gathered near Robin Hood Hills. They'd be joined by dozens of volunteers to scrounge the local area. A heavy focus was put on the four acres of woods. Teams worked shoulder to shoulder, and hours passed. Across the river, the Memphis, Tennessee Police Department dispatched a helicopter to assist in the search effort efforts. And it would take hours until 1.45 p.m. when the boys were finally found. A juvenile parole officer named Steve Jones was the first to spot a floating black shoe in the muddy creek. Following the creek would lead you to a major drainage canal in Robin Hood Hills where children often played. It was in this water that the bodies of Christopher Byers, Michael Moore, and Stevie Branch were found. Sergeant Mike Allen responded to the radio call from Jones and entered the woods on the subdivision side. He met with a juvenile officer, and the two stood at the steep edge of the water and looked down at the child's black lace tennis shoe that was floating. Despite the search having lasted for hours, no one had seen this or searched through the drainage water. Sergeant Allen was the first to wade into the water in his dress shoes, slacks, shirt, and tie. And as soon as he disturbed the mud below the surface, lifting his foot to move forward, a tiny, pale body floated to the surface. Obviously, police swarmed the area, yellow tape went up, and an active crime scene began. Only the police department was allowed anywhere near Robin Hood Hills. The detectives realized that if one body had been found in the water, maybe the other two would be there as well. Detective Bryn Ridge volunteered to be the one to get in the water and search for the other two boys. The first odd thing his hand came across was a stick stuck oddly up in the mud, and when he pulled it out, it had a white children's shirt wrapped around it. Detective Ridge said he couldn't stand just leaving Michael's body where it was, and so he returned to the floating body and removed it from the water. I hope I don't have to explain how bad of an idea that was, and it's just the beginning of the investigation. So I want to I wanna take a minute here, uh, just because you, you piqued my curiosity. Um... <clears throat> I'm trying to find this place on a map. I've been trying for the last, like, I don't know, five minutes 
Um, and I just can't seem to figure out where exactly this is. I found West Memphis. Okay. But like you said, it was between interstates 40 and 55. Yep. And there's a truck stop. Yep. I see a bunch of truck stops here. The truck stop is called Blue Beacon. Blue Beacon. Yes. And then the woods are like right there by Blue Beacon. All right. If the woods are still there. I honestly don't know if the woods are still there today. I didn't look that up in my research. I probably should have. Um, oh, hell. <laughs> I just got a billion blue uh, blue beacon trucks. Okay, I found it right here. Got it. Okay. Uh, so, Tyler, since you're not really into crew... Since you're not really into true crime, do you know like how bad of an idea it was to remove the body from the water? Like, Yeah, of course. That You're fucking up the crime scene. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Someone yeah, who doesn't you, know... You said that You said that was a bad idea. I was like, duh, you're fucking up the crime scene. Well, apparently the police officer didn't think it was a bad idea. Well, he's a dumbass. Yeah. Um, so I found it. It is literally right... Like, there's a, a little wooded area, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's not what I think of when I think of woods. It's just a little four acres. Yeah, it's... I was thinking, like, expansive, like, forest. This is, like, just a... Like, this is... This could be, like, a Walmart parking lot. It's the 100-acre wood. It's definitely not, like, trapsing through a haunted forest. Yeah, I know. I just... I was... In my head, I was picturing something else. I'm glad I looked it up. Yep. Um, kids loved playing there, and I'm assuming they probably still do. Um, Why? They would like set up like bike uh, ramps and stuff, and they'd go swimming in that water there, and you know they'd build forts in the trees and just be fucking stupid kids. That seems like a terrible place to play as a kid. I don't know. I, I obviously it's probably changed. There's like six truck stops now. I don't know. Anyway. All right, so I am about to describe what Michael Moore looked like. So just so you're aware, that's happening right now. It was apparent that something violent had taken place. Michael Moore was naked and hogtied with his limbs at his back, though not truly hogtied. His left wrist and left ankle were tied together, and his right wrist and right ankle were tied together but they weren't all four like tied together. So it was just the two and two. It basically tied so you could spread his legs. Yeah. Uh, This was done with shoelaces. I just, I want to point that out because that will be an important detail later. The wounds to his head were vicious and suggested that the perpetrator had been enraged. Several more sticks were found with clothes tied to them. And in the end, all articles of clothing had been found except for one sock and two pairs of underwear. All three trousers were found, and though two were inside out, they were all buttoned and zipped. Further downstream, Detective Ridge re-entered the water and made the sad discovery of the second body. This one was Stevie Branch. He moved it too? Yes, he did. Dumbass. He was tied in the same manner, again with the shoelaces, and he showed signs of being severely beaten. 
His wounds were so deep it was hard to tell, but Detective Ridge believed his face had been bitten. Minutes later, the detective discovered Christopher Byers, and upon removing him from the water, discovered he was in much the same state as the other two, except for one shocking discovery. Christopher's scrotum was gone and his penis had been skinned. Only a thin flap of flesh remained where his genitals should have been. And the area around the castration had been severely punctu- punctured with deep, sa- with deep stab wounds. Two bicycles were found in the water and pulled out. It was by now 3 p.m. And it wasn't until 3.20, a full two hours after the first body was found, that anyone thought to call the coroner. He arrived around 4 p.m., pronounced all three boys dead. No shit. They removed the bodies from the water, which already affects how decay works, and left them in the hot Arkansas sun where flies and other insects had swarmed them. It was hard to tell time of death because of the amount of contamination that had been done. While submerged, the water is estimated to be about 60 degrees, but they were removed and put onto the bank where it was sitting in the high 80s. Part of the time before the coroner arrived, they'd even been covered with plastic sheets, which further changed the temperature and the decay rate. Rigor mortis was hard to determine because of the way the boys were bound, though the coroner did see some signs of post-mortem straining against the face and chest, which is like where one's skin starts to look sunken and like pulled against the bone. He said that perhaps Michael and Christopher may have been sexually assaulted, but did not declare it concrete and more uh, would need to be discovered via autopsy. But the police had been treating this area like complete amateurs. They'd been stomping through the crime scene, moving and touching bodies and evidence. And this was in 1993. They should have been better by this point. The value of a crime scene has only increased over the decades. Why in the world were they acting like it was the 1800s? Um, I could take a shot at that. <laughs> take it. Just looking at it on a map, it seems like a very uh, smallish southern town where uh, coming from a town similar, growing up in a town in the 90s in a very similar place, I can see something similar happening. Just people, uh, you know, good old boys getting in the getting in the police force and not not understanding the sensitive nature of it. I'm sure I'm getting heated reading this aloud. I sure am writing it. But it just blows my mind how neglectful the West Memphis police had been. And we aren't done yet. This is, again, the beginning of the investigation. Still... Detectives photographed and videotaped the scene. Obviously, there was a murder scene on their hands. Chief Inspector Gary W. Gitchell was in charge. He ordered that the stream be drained around where the bodies had been found while sandbagging above the area to avoid draining the entire thing. 
Gitchell hoped to find a murder weapon or any of the three missing articles of clothing or, even more morbidly, Christopher's genitals. And by now, a huge crowd was forming at the police tape and a man was ducking underneath. Gitchell intercepted Terry Hobbs, Stevie Branch's stepfather, before he got too far. He confirmed that the bodies had been found and obviously murdered. Hobbs broke down in tears, and his wife Pam literally passed out. Chief Inspector Gary W. Gitchell took a few moments to talk to reporters before he ambled over to John Mark Byers, Christopher's adoptive dad, to give him the bad news. Byers told a reporter that he'd just searched the area the previous night and, quote, I was out looking until 4.30. I walked within 10 or 15 feet of where they were found and I didn't see them, end quote. This wasn't taken as odd because many people had searched the area and no one had found the kids either. But what they maybe should have found odd was Byers then providing the reporter more information than Gitchell had divulged, information he said that the detective had given him. One of the boys had been hit above the eye, Byers said. Another boy's jaw was injured. And the assault on the third child had been, quote, even worse than that. Though reports were flocking to West Memphis, Gitchell refused to comment details. Except the police were chatting over their radios, tuned into channels that those with police scanners could also hear. Thus, the next morning, headlines on the murders divulged more than Gitchell had given. Quote, The details the paper picked up from the state police report included references to how the boys were tied. It also said incorrectly, that all three had been sexually mutilated. When reporters questioned Gitchell about the sexual mutilation, the detective would not comment. He did, however, confirm that all all victims had been bound hand to foot. End quote. The chief inspector remained relatively quiet in the next few days of the investigation and leaving reporters to hassle the victims' families. Quote, when reporters knocked on the door of the Byers' house, Christopher's mother, Melissa, answered. She was crying and had little to say. I won't let them tell me what happened to them, she sobbed. I don't want to know. Before closing the door, she added, All I know is that my child is dead and so are the other two. I'm so sorry. I just don't want to talk about the gory details. I don't know. Of all the parents, John Mark Byers was the most willing to talk. As the weekend approached, he told reporters that besides the weight of his family's grief, the murder posed a financial burden. He explained, I've got to find a way to bury my son, and the community rallied to provide the families with money. John Mark Byers occupied an unusual position in the West Memphis community. He was a pawnbroker, a jeweler by trade, a drug dealer, a friend of the police, and a confidential informant for the Crittenden County Drug Task Force. It was well known that in 1992 he had faced financial problems. He had a long and storied history of violence and abuse, with several accusations falling in his favor or swept under the rug. Within hours after the discovery of the bodies, rumors attributing the killings to Satanism had begun to circulate. Two women had already reported the sounds of devil-worshipping in the woods. And so when Gitchell did say they were looking into several possibilities, 
one including cult activity, despite telling reporters there was no evidence of such, the theory took off. Small town, southern city. Night. Yeah. Small town, southern town. Yeah. Yeah. Small (laughs) southern town. Yep. By 1993, or uh, sorry, 1993 was at the end of the satanic panic, which arguably could considered to have ended between 1992 and 1995. But the satanic panic was still at the forefront of everyone's minds, especially in a deep southern town where a horrific act had taken place. Quote, the West Memphis Police Department assigned the case number 93-05-0666 to the murder file. Reporters asked whether the last three digits had been deliberately chosen. The number 666 suggest a police theory of the crime? Did it refer to the Antichrist? Gitchell insisted that it did not. The assignment of that particular number, he said, had been entirely coincidental. He explained that cases were numbered according to the date the crime had occurred and the number of cases that had already been entered for the year. It was just entirely by chance, he said, that this particular case, which occurred in the fifth month of 1993, just happened to be the 666th worked by the department so far. Years later, discovery of a report written by Detective Ridge and dated two days after the body were found would cast doubt on on Ginchel's contention. That report, which was among the earliest in the case, identified it as case number 93-05-0555, end quote. Maybe somebody made a typing mistake. Mm-hmm. Maybe. This, this went from five to six. Could be. Nearly immediately... The governor of Arkansas at the time, Jim Guy Tucker, contacted Chief Inspector Gary W. Gitchell to offer the assistance of the Arkansas State Police since this was gearing up to be a very difficult, highly publicized case. Gitchell refused their help. There's several theories why that I'm not going to get into because they aren't important when related to this. The fact is, help was offered and turned down. I don't know what if anything, would have changed with a different police force working the case, but I sure hope it would have. The case fell into three categories. One, the kids were killed by someone or someones close to them. Two, the kids were killed by a stranger or strangers. And three, the kids were sacrificed as part of a gang or cult ritual. Officers struggled with the crime scene and said that it looked as if it had been swept clean. There was a surprising lack of blood. They found one footprint, part of a boot that had been obliterated. They'd taken what cask they could and sent it off to a lab, but it was never identified. There was also one thumbprint in the mud, and that, along with dozens of fingerprints that would be sent to the labs during investigation, did not give any conclusive results. Very little evidence was taken from Robin Hood Hills, especially considering they had a triple homicide that did not involve a gun, and the victims would have suffered a ton of blood loss. More than anything, though, a bumbling and unorganized investigation could be blamed for the disaster that followed. Record-keeping had no pattern or consistency to it. Quote, 
Sometime, apparently within the first day or two, an undated, unsigned summary regarding the investigation was printed on police department stationery. The summary reported the names and ages of the victims, the approximate time the boys were last seen alive, and the fact that the bicycles belonging to two of the victims had been found submerged about 50 yards away. But even that document was not reliable. It reported, for example, that more, rather than buyers, had been obviously castrated. The mistake was repeated again when the summary noted that analysis has determined that a knife with a serrated edge was used to castrate more. End quote. Another key part of the report was oddly ambiguous. ambiguous. It read, quote, A crime scene search failed to locate any traces of blood or other evidence which would lead investigators to believe the victims had been murdered in the area where their bodies were located, end quote. And that seemed to suggest that the detective's earlier suspicions was that the boys were murdered somewhere else. The document also noted that a hammer or a round object was used to create trauma to the head of all three victims, that there is a possibility that buyers may have been injected by a hypodermic needle, and that the medical examiner also advised that evidence would tend to indicate the victims had been struck with a belt containing studs or a raised surface. This was interesting information, but in light of the statement's obvious errors, its overall credibility had to be questioned. The medical examiner's reference to the possibility that the children had been struck by a belt might have focused on the intention on John Mark Byers, since Byers had acknowledged when he had reported Christopher missing that he'd given the boy a few licks with a belt just before he disappeared. But for two weeks, detectives appeared disinclined to seriously question Byers. Well, the most logical prong of the investigation, the one looking into family members, was receiving scant attention, and the most unusual one, the possibility of a gang or cult had committed the murders, had already been announced to the media. Detective devoted hundreds of hours to examining the third possibility. This was that someone completely unknown to the children, someone not in a gang or cult, but not in their families either, had mutilated and murdered the children. Despite Chief Inspector Gary W. Gitchell's promise to keep a tight leash on all investigations, all information on the case, information leaked everywhere. Hundreds upon hundreds of tips came through, and no tip was too small or irrelevant to check out. The day after the bodies were found, a boy named Aaron Hutchingtonson, a close friend of Michael Moore's, reported that he saw Michael talking to a black man in a maroon car after school before getting in with him. At first, police wrote Aaron off as being a frightened kid with an imagination. Later on, they'd take him seriously. But for now, they pushed Aaron and his tip away. A tip came in that the boys had been tied how American POWs were in the Vietnam War, and so the police looked for any veterans in the area who had reported injuries, specifically wounds that could maybe be considered defensive. For some reason, they investigated a man who was arrested for performing an illegal sex change operation on a person. They investigated a man who drilled holes into his apartment wall to spy on neighbors, and all sorts of other creeps, hobos, mental patients, and so much more. Yeah, they just rounded up the local weirdos and said, hey. You have no idea, Tyler. <laughs> they basically looked into everyone except the people close to the boys. 
They were informed that four days after the bodies were found, two men from the area, Chris Morgan and Brian Holland, had moved to Oceanside, California. It turned out that Morgan drove an ice cream truck that frequently visited their neighborhood. Oceanside PD assisted in arresting and interviewing the men, even giving them both polygraphs, which they both showed as giving false answers. They collected blood and urine samples that were sent to the crime lab in Arkansas. And abruptly, West Memphis detectives dropped that lead and never looked into Morgan or Holland again. The police had done so much unorganized randomness that even they were starting to mix up what was rumor and what was actually true. Gitchell was breathing down the crime lab's back, too, demanding answers for questions they simply didn't have the answers for. However, it was determined that though all boys had been tied with shoelaces, not all knots were the same. The knots used on Christopher and Michael were all the same, but all four knots on Stevie were dissimilar to each other and to the knots on the other two boys. They found skin, cuticles probably, in one of the ligatures that did not belong to the boys, and interestingly, they found a single strand of hair they determined to be from a black adult male on the sheet that wrapped Christopher's body. Nothing came from this, and the evidence sits somewhere in Arkansas today. Come on, Arkansas. <laughs> DNA that shit. Finally, after hours of manpower, they began to look into the families. None of the early interviews they did with the victim's parents were ever recorded. All we have is he said, she said, and not a whole lot of reliability. John Mark Byers would be investigated more so than any of the other parents. Quote, According to Gitchell's notes, Byers reported that he arrived home from a medical appointment at 3.10 p.m. on May 5, 1993. At 3.50, he took his 13-year-old stepson, Ryan, to the police department for an appearance in municipal court where Ryan was to testify as a witness in a traffic dispute. After leaving Ryan at the courthouse, Byers said, he drove to Memphis to pick up his wife, Melissa, at work. He stated that he returned to the house with her and at 5.30 left home again to pick up Ryan at court. Byers told Gitchell that at 6.15, when he returned with Ryan, Christopher was not at home and that by 6.20, the family had begun its search. Officers then questioned Ryan Clark, Melissa's 13-year-old son. Ryan said he had arrived home from school at exactly 3.38 p.m. on the afternoon Christopher disappeared. Chris was not at home. John Mark Byers took Ryan to his 4 p.m. appearance in court, left, and returned to the courthouse around 6 p.m. to pick him up. On the way home, Byers told Ryan that Chris had broken a seal on the window to get into the house and that he was going to be grounded for a week. When they got home... His mother told him that they were going to go to a restaurant to eat and to go upstairs and get Christopher. Ryan went upstairs but could not find him. The family then looked for Christopher outside. And there was one major difference between John Mark Byers and his son Ryan's interviews. One that was never addressed or brought up again. It was such. Ryan told the police he was sent to bed that evening at midnight after searching for his brother. John, however, said that at midnight, he and Ryan both went out again looking one more time for Chris and his friends. The morning of the official police search, Byers also asked officers to get a boat out on the bayou, suggesting he thought 
the boys might have drowned in the water. But no one ever questioned why he'd think they'd been in the water. A woman came forward and told Inspector Gitchell that during a parent-teacher event at the school the past year, she had overheard John and Melissa talking about how they, quote, or how they had to, quote, get rid of Christopher. Here the principal approached them and said that Chris had to be removed from class that day due to being a disturbance. The line of, this line of questioning, however, was never followed up. The cops were informed of the Byers' money troubles and the fact that John had a brain tumor, all of which seemed old news to the department, again suggesting how close he was with the PD. Again, during all these early interviews, there was no tape recording, much less videotaping going on. However, there was some modern detective tools being used, including a polygraph ran by, de by a detective named Bill Durham. The investigation detective Durham would lie detector test 41 people, and absolutely none of them were any of the victim's family members. Zilch. Yeah, but lie detector tests can be beaten. They can. That's, not a, that's that was, not a good test. That was the early 90s. They thought it was a great test back then. Yeah. And they used the test on 41 people. None of them were related to the kids. So it just does not make a lot of sense. Um, da, da, da. After the bodies had been found on May 26th, Inspector Gitchell still... Bah, bah, bah. I messed up, messed up that sentence. Do um, better. <laughs> Uh, so, 20 days after the bodies had been found on May 26th, Inspector Gitchell still had not received any reports on autopsies and was beginning to panic. He had no idea what, how the boy died, what time they died, etc. And he'd end up writing several letters of complaint that just went to show how frayed the nerves of the police department were as media and locals pushed at having no answers of this terrific triple homicide. With a bumbling police force not coming up with any answers and stress writing, and stress writing down Gitchell's back, that third wild option of a cult sacrifice became a lifeline. And thus, suspicion turned to a teenager in Marion who'd copied Darkfall, a poem written by Dean Kuntz, into his notebook. Holy men tell us life is a mystery. They embrace that concept happily. But some mysteries bite and bark and come to get you in the dark. A rain of shadows, a storm, a squall. Daylight retreats, night swallows all. If good is bright, if evil's gloom, high evil walls the world entombs. Now comes the end, the drear, dark fall. God damn, I thought I was a pessimist. <laughs> Jesus uh, Quote Though the occult would remain a vague term A belief that occult or satanic activities Were dangerously afoot In the county Was already well established Among some law enforcement officials By the time the murders occurred That belief could be attributed To the efforts of Jerry Driver A county juvenile officer who was seen by police as the local expert on how the occult and crime converged. Driver was not a police officer. Backwoods shit. 
After a career as a commercial airline pilot, he and his wife had opened a house cleaning service. When that venture failed, Driver, then in his early 50s, had taken a job with the Crittenden County as a juvenile probation officer. He was supposed to keep track of kids who had gotten into trouble with the law. By the time of the murders, Driver was the county's chief juvenile officer. Steve Jones, the juvenile probation officer who'd spotted the telltale floating shoe, worked as Driver's assistant. The murders shocked but did not surprise Driver. He'd been telling people for months that he expected something dire to happen. When it did, his first thought was of Damien Eccles, a troubled kid whom Driver had been watching for about a year. End quote. And I warned everyone that today's episode would not be satisfying, but I'm afraid we have to end here this week. Next week, we will resume the case of the West Memphis Three, now with the police focusing on a now with the police focusing on a satanic cult, we will meet the three living victims of this case: Damian Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., and Jason Baldwin. The West Memphis Three is a hell of a rabbit hole, and I hope you've stuck around this long and will tune in next week to continue this journey, one that needs to be heard and wondered about. Well, I am uh, more hooked than I expected to be. I don't usually fall for the true crime stuff, but this one, I think because I can I can relate a lot to this. Um, this reminds me a lot of where I grew up. I grew up in the 90s in a small southern town where I can see shit like this happening. So, anyway, I guess we'll move it on. Mm-hmm. Trivia with Tyler. All right. I actually don't have it ready. Oh, no. You don't have it ready. I just saw something colorful that attracted my eye and distracted me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I felt I'd be remiss if I didn't at least include that bit. All right. Let's see. All right. This is a cool one. Okay. We need something to pick us up. After that put us down. There is a certain cancer treatment known as dynamic phototherapy that has the side effect of giving humans a slight level of night vision. Under this treatment, the retina becomes able to process light at wavelengths higher than the visible light domain. Wow. So, you get cancer, but you can see in the dark. Kind of. Uh- <laughs> I mean, you got to look at the positives. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Final thoughts. So, before we jump into this, I noticed halfway through that, excuse me, oh God, excuse me, two burps, uh, I have three fans on the front of my computer, and the middle one is not running. Oh, no. So I'm going to have to repair that shortly. I must have knocked the cable out when I was adding um, adding a new hard drive into it a couple weeks ago. Yep, yep. Um, all right. Well, 
I have not put any water in here yet. I'm doing so right now. I just all got right. a drop in there. There's two. I have not been like drinking at all while reading this. I'd I've been drinking it and so far, um uh remember at the way back at the very beginning I said this thing's ninety proof, so I don't expect a lot of burn. Mm-hmm. I don't get that much burn. Not not at this point. Um I like that, honestly, but at the same time, I don't like that in some whiskeys. I got to say, I, I think when it when it lacks flavor or if it's just burn, I want something other than burn or no burn. You know? Oh, Megan made a face. She didn't like it with water. Hold or, on. Or she just spilt it everywhere. Did not spill it. Okay. I'm going to have to take another Holy sip. Holy crap. <laughs> I just, I didn't taste it. I just smelled it. It smells like maple. Um, I had going to watch your face before I take another sip because I just took a small sip and I don't know. That was not, that was so weird. Wow. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. So it, uh, this is. This is like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, my God. So much. It is completely, completely different with water. There yeah. is almost no spice. Yep. It is very sweet. Oh, my God. It's like drinking maple syrup. Um, And, well, not only that, though, I got a load of corn. I Like that corn whiskey flavor like you get in a, in a high corn bourbon. And that, when you think back, I read the mash bill. It's 51%. Uh, rye and 45% corn. I got that corn too. The water brought the corn out. Water brought the corn out and damn, did it bring the sweetness out. Yep. Well, it, no, because I've been getting sweetness the entire time. Were you getting sweetness like that? No, I was getting vanilla and caramel. This is straight maple. I mean, it to me, when I first took that sip and was like shocked, it was syrupy sweet. I don't know if I'd call it syrupy sweet, but it was damn sweet, and it was different sweet than I've been getting the whole time. And that's kind of what I was getting around to saying is like this, it had a spice to it, but it also had a very balancing sweetness um, before adding the water to it. So I I really enjoyed it. Wow. I thought it was very well balanced, very, mm-hmm. a very good rye. Uh, I wish that, this, you know, was available in North Carolina. Me too. Me too. Uh, I would love to have a full fifth of this. So yeah. um, if anyone sees Devil's River Rye Whiskey anywhere and wants to do your girl a favor, um, send us a hell, bottle. Hell, just do yourself a favor and oh, yeah. get it and try it. <laughs> yeah, true. Get it for yourself. If you don't like it, send it to me. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you keep forgetting we have that. Uh, my uh, Steam Deck doesn't work. Oh, no. I told you that earlier today, and you were like, yeah, I know. You must have not understood what I meant. Oh, no. I <laughs> thought you were... Yeah, I misunderstood, because mine wasn't working either. I hit the buttons, and it wouldn't oh, work. No. Mine's not turned on, sir. Um, Don't worry about it now. I, yeah. just, I, thought you were, I thought you knew that. No, I didn't. Okay. All right, well... Um. Give us a number, Megan, or or give us your final your final thoughts. I kind of gave mine. Um, I I didn't really get a whole lot of sweetness at all before the water was in it, which might be why like the the sweetness hit me so hard. 
Um, but it it is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Totally, 100% different. Um, going from just straight and then adding just two drops of water changed everything. Um, and I do like it both ways. Um, but I think, um, number wise, <sighs> Tyler's going to be annoyed at me. You are not. <laughs> He's like, you, you, are- you are not. I figured out why Megan's thing's not working. It wasn't plugged in. I'm <laughs> plugging it in. Womp womp. All right, guys. I, you know, okay. I'm going to go nine. Nine. I'm going to go nine. Yes. That is, that is my final answer. I'm doing a nine, Tyler. Doing a nine. All right. Thanks. Thanks for covering my couple <laughs> extra seconds there. Uh, you should be up and running and ready to go now. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so a nine. I, and I feel like I influenced that nine. A little bit. <laughs> I judged her into a nine, guys. Yep. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the power I have, I guess. I don't know. Um, well, okay. We are, there are times where Megan and I are in lockstep and there are times where Megan and I are not, not even on the same planet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. What do you think we're going to be today, Megan? I I was thinking we were going to be on the same wavelength, but, uh, you saying that has made me think now we're not going to be, uh, we are not really. Okay. I it's good. It, it is very good. I'm I'm taking nothing away, um, but I it's not that good for me. Okay. Um, I'm gonna give it a solid, solid uh, seven, but it ain't a nine. Okay. All right. Whatever you say. So, um, it I I personally liked it better without the water. Um, I liked. That balance. This is not balanced. The scales have tipped all the way to the sweetness. So, yeah, they definitely so have. So it, it kind of threw me in that. Um, but as far as, you know, as far as the actual just neat, you know, whiskey, I would love to have a bottle of this. Um, I hate that we don't have any extra to put in the rye infinity bottle yeah since we only had airplane bottles yep um so i guess i'll just have to keep my eye out for it when i'm out of state darn yep. mm, but, mm. gives you a reason to go out of state though yeah yep so oh well <clears throat> let's wrap oh my god it's so late. I did yeah. not realize how late it was. Let's it's late. Wrap, we gotta go. Let's wrap this Monday night up because <laughs> we still gotta edit all this and process it. So, all right, you guys, I appreciate you tolerating us being a week behind. Uh, a week, a day. a day behind. Sorry, that's yeah. how my week's been already. Those of you who are Patreons, so yes, thank you, thank you to everybody, um, everybody who supports us. Remember, um, whiskeyandwonder.com slash sponsors or barkbox.com slash whiskey and wonder and that's whiskey with an e uh if you want to get a free month of bark box and help out whiskey and wonder in the for process sure, for so. sure 
All right, you guys. I think on that note, we are getting out of here. Thank you so much for tuning in, listening, doing all the wonderful things you do. Um, we hope you uh, stick around for next week and uh, be safe. Don't drink and drive. Cheers. Proud pop.